Hi, friends. This is Julie Costin, and this is the first ever inclusion podcast. I am so excited, in fact, beyond thrilled to be spending time with you talking about my favorite subject of inclusive education. My intention for this podcast is to connect those of us who already do a lot of work in inclusive education and also to bring along those who have a lot of questions about how to do the very rewarding and very challenging work of including all students in general education. For me, I believe the question of school inclusion should be answered with an absolutely of course. Whenever we think, should this student be included? Can this person be included? Can we make sure that this person feels like part of? Can they belong here? The answer to that, I think, should be of course. And then we as a community, a school community, work together to figure out just how to do that. My goal for this podcast is that I help to support folks who are doing the very, very hard work of making sure each and every student belongs. So before we jump into the first episode, I thought it might be nice to share a little bit about who I am so that you know who you're listening to and what my experiences have been. I would like to start with my children, the two most incredible teachers in my life. My daughter, Ella, is in middle school, and my son, Sam, is in high school. I was a special education teacher, and I taught elementary, middle, and high school special education, and I always worked in inclusive settings because that was incredibly important to me. I specifically work with students with some of the most significant support needs. I was a professor for 14 years at Syracuse University, and I ran the inclusive elementary program there. That is a college program that helps students get their teaching degrees in general and special education together, so they get dual certification. I've also spent the last 20 years studying and researching inclusive schools. I've written six books about inclusive education, and I've written over 30 articles about inclusive education. The reason I tell you that is I just want you to know and understand that this is the work of my heart, and this is the work I love to do. This is the work that also keeps me up at night, and it is really the birthplace of this podcast. Here's what I've been up to lately. I have recently left Syracuse University and founded Inclusive Schooling with my colleague Kate McLeod. Inclusiveschooling.com is the website, and what it is, it's a place for uh, administrators, teachers, parents, students to go to really learn more about inclusive schooling. And there you can contact us and we do live professional development, problem solving sessions. We even do inclusive classroom makeovers. So now that you know a little bit more about my intention behind this podcast and you know a little bit more about who I am, let's jump right in to episode one of the Inclusion Podcast. I went on my Facebook page and I asked people what questions they wanted addressed or answered on this podcast. I got so many incredible questions. I've chosen a couple questions that I'm going to answer here on this podcast as a starting point. So I'm going to start with this teacher named Carrie, who is a third grade teacher in Seattle, Washington, and uh, I'll read you her question. Dear Julie, I am new to all of this. I'm a third grade teacher and I have a student named Marissa with Down syndrome in my class this year. I am committed to the idea of inclusion, but I'm wondering if you had any guiding suggestions. 
Some days go pretty well and other days not so much. I'm struggling with her reading level compared to her peers and each day she does not want to transition between classes easily. At that time, her behavior can get challenging. Could you maybe give me one idea to keep me going? Thanks, Carrie. Well, Carrie, I love your question. Um, very representative of what I often see, which is teachers who, who believe in inclusion, they understand it, they get it, and when it comes to the practice of it, it can get a little challenging. And I'm going to give you some ideas that I hope will help with both you know, academics and the behavioral piece that you shared here. So I'm going to start with the academics. Um, you mentioned the discrepancy between Marissa and her peers in relation to her reading ability. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, I'm, I believe that there's a discrepancy, and I want you to think instead about Marissa's strengths and gifts and talents and abilities. So take reading level out of the equation at the moment, and I'm going to ask you to, on a piece of paper, jot down Marissa's name in the center and write down all of her strengths, gifts, talents, abilities. Write down all the ways she's smart. Write down all the ways she's intelligent. Um, is she a visual learner? Does she love music? Is she, um, does she have a great sense of humor? Does she love peers? Uh, is she motivated by working with others? All the kinds of things that you know really work for Marissa. So that's your first step. Then I'm going to ask you to design lessons with all of those strengths in mind. So I'm just going to give an example. Let's imagine Marissa works well with peers. You're going to want to design reading lessons that include peer support. Or if she's someone who loves to draw, you're going to want when she's reading or listening to reading, you want her to draw what she sees. Or let's say she's someone who's excellent with computers. You might utilize the computer in some way for her to share what she read, what she learned. Um, obviously, you're going to be modifying some of the work to support her needs and reading level. But when we get stuck with what a student can't do, like read, for example, I ask people to start with what can they do. It's a strength-based approach to rethinking what we can do for students. And it takes a little bit of creativity, but essentially we differentiate with all of that in mind. Another thing I want you to think about is access points. So too often we have conflated the idea of reading ability and intelligence. We think those things are the same, and they're not. <clears throat> Some students struggle to read, but they're still very intelligent. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so what you want to do is think about thinking about Marissa as a really intelligent person. We don't only want her to read what she can decode, right? We want her to have access to interesting, rich text. So I want you to think about access points. So if she can't decode it, can she listen to it on audio? Can she have a friend read it to her? Can we break it apart and share the main ideas of the text? So essentially, we're redesigning instruction based on student strengths and new access points. Now, when it comes to the aspect of behavior, you mentioned transitions and, and behavioral challenges during transitions. This is incredibly common. And I want you to take a close look at this behavior through the lens of anxiety. 
Many students who struggle with transitions to from one thing to another are often feeling anxious about that transition. And so if you approach it in that way, you might come up with different ideas than you would if you approached it looking at it as challenging behavior or a student is, you know, uh, being defiant or something. You didn't use the word defiant, but I'm just noting that lots of teachers, when they see behavior, they struggle with the reason behind it. So when it comes to transitions, I want you to think of a couple things. The first is it might be anxiety, and I want you to support it in that way. Meaning, when you're anxious about something, what supports do you often need? So for me, I need a little bit of preparation time. I need to know what's coming next. I need to know how long it's going to take. I need uh, friends who can support me. I need a lot of those types of supports that um, manage my anxiety. So practice with Marissa um, using multiple ways to support anxiety around transition. I'll give this incredible example. I was working with a team of teachers with a student actually who has Down syndrome too, and I think he was a third grader at the time. Uh, his name is Mark, and there was a, he was struggling with transitions as well. So going from uh, English class to art class, or from math to um, art, uh, art class was a real problem. Art or music, just down the hall. That was a challenge for him. And what the team decided to do is start with his strengths. Like I said in the academic piece, starting with his strengths. Well, Mark is a real leader and he loves to lead a group. So what they did is they did two things. One, they managed his anxiety by making sure to have a visual schedule for him so he knew what was coming. But two, they gave him a job. And I loved the job they came up with. They gave him the job of having the key to the, the specials area room. And so I witnessed this kid go from having transitions that involved tantrums and things like that to basically saying to the rest of the class, hey, three minutes before it's time to clean up, I've got the key, I'm ready to go. And two minutes to clean up, now one minute to clean up. Okay, everybody line up, we're gonna head to art class, right? I watched this student go from really struggling to being a leader because his teachers used his strengths and helped to manage his anxiety. So now Carrie, I'm not sure if I've answered your com question completely, but you asked for one idea to get you started, so I'm hopeful that this helps. Stay in touch, send more questions as you have them. Um, and I'm really excited to hear about not only your experience, but also your attitude about this experience, that you're really excited about it and eager to do this work. So excited for you. Thanks so much. And now I want to go on to the next question. Julie, my question is about the support of a TA. Josh is in my English class and he has a one-to-one -one TA. He really seems to dislike having a one-to-one -one TA. He often shuts down when she is near. He will even shout, go away, when he sees her. She has, he has had a one-on-one -on, -one on his IEP for his entire school career, but I'm just not sure what to do. The TA is good, but Josh wants nothing to do with her. Thank you, Tim. Well, Tim, thanks so much. I assume you teach middle school because you said you teach an English class, so I'm gonna assume that that's the case. And I love your question because it's not uncommon. Often, students struggle 
with the types and kinds of supports we're providing them at school. So what I suggest is we change the type and kind of support we're providing at school. So what I mean by that is think yourself, Tim, about if someone were paid to support you all day long. There would be times when you'd want that person near to support you, but also there'd be many times when you'd want privacy or you'd want to have your autonomy and your own decision-making power. Um, and so one of the things when a student is being this clear, like they, you said that he's even shouting, go away when she's near, we need to listen to that. He's being really clear in his communication. He's not being appropriate in his communication, but clear in it in that this isn't working. So what I might suggest is, uh, I've written an article called The Golden Rule of Inclusive Service Provision, and that might be a place to start. So if you Google my name, Julie Costin, and The Golden Rule, um, you'll, you can print out this article. But what it says is really that we need to ask students the kinds of supports they want and need and listen to their responses. The other thing is we have to really be conscious about fading our support. A one-on-one -on -one does not mean someone needs to sit directly next to a student. Obviously, there are some cases, and I mean very few cases, where the physical presence of a teaching assistant is necessary. For example, I worked in a school where a student had seizures and would fall unexpectedly. Well, we need someone there to make sure that that student um, is safe, right? So that would be an exception to the rule. But my question is that I want you to ask yourself is when is it absolutely necessary to have an adult next to Josh? And then when can you fade that support and offer what I call silent supports or invisible supports? And those are supports maybe where you modify the materials so that Josh can be successful instead of having a person next to him. Then you might need to reassign some work for that teaching assistant. Teaching assistants are amazing and can be incredibly helpful. And we know that teaching assistants can cause uh, behavioral challenges when it comes to the supports they provide. So what we've got to do is look, look and listen um, to Josh's words and behaviors and start to make new decisions about what support might look like. So in your English class, you might have that teaching assistant doing small group work and Josh may be part of your group work and then you might switch. Or you could make sure that that teaching assistant has a lot of roles and responsibilities that involve working with everyone in the classroom so that Josh isn't triggered by the presence of that paraprofessional. So in short, I would Google that article, The Golden Rule um, and my name, and you will find, a, I think, really useful article to give you step-by-step -step ideas. So listen, make sure you listen to Josh. Uh, ask yourself, when is it absolutely necessary to have an adult paired with Josh? And then where and when can we fade this support? I love your question. Thanks for bringing it up. And this concludes our very first podcast. My goal is to keep these podcasts between 15 and 20 minutes long, mostly because most learners can learn for about 15 to 20 minutes. And I want to make sure that you're fresh for the new information. So thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I cannot wait till the next one. If you have questions that you'd like to send to me, you can send them to me directly at julie at inclusiveschooling.com and then put in the subject line podcast questions. So again, that's julie at inclusiveschooling.com and in the subject line put podcast questions. 
Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I send you warm and inclusive wishes. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.